our first crossover. Very exciting. Just a quick note, we hope that you will support the Worcester Creative Giving Campaign this holiday season. You're listening to the Public Hearing Podcast and Pop It, a crossover episode. Hey, friends. Hi. Hi. Thank you for having us. I know, we're so excited. Yes, I'm so excited. So for listeners, this is a Worcester Podcasts crossover. Crossover event. Crossover event. This is like... This is like when Richard Belzer, who played Munch on all of those shows, went to all the other shows, the Law and Order shows. Yes. And Homicide Life on the Street. <laughs> this I love is it. what I, you know, this I need us. Molly for. She has all these obscure pop culture references and then she explains them you to me. You Munch? I love he's it. Like well, the, I, I was cool saying guy. to my partner earlier, I was like, they talk about pop culture a lot. And my friend Eric, like one of my best friends, always makes fun of me for how little I know about like act, like pop culture. And um, so call me. Yes. I'm so glad that we are here. Worcester. Hello. We are here. Um, I'm Josh and I'm here with. I'm Sarah Connell Sanders and I'm Molly (laughs) O'Connor. Yes. And I am the host of Public Hearing, which is a podcast about city development, economic uh, growth, equitable, inclusivity, inclusivity uh, through the lens of Worcester and pop it. Yes. Yeah. Uh, we are a podcast for popping questions, popping bottles, and pop culture. Yeah. <laughs> and guess, speaking of popping, yeah, yeah. Can you pop a beer? Is that like yeah, a thing you absolutely. do? Yeah, absolutely. I think it All pops, right. right? On three. One, two, three. Nice. That was nice. That was perfectly timed. Mm-hmm. Of course, we're drinking Redemption Rock beer. We love beer. Redemption Rock. Um, cheers. I have cheers a War Castle. You. I love it. I have a good hang. Got a three-decker, and I believe all the art was Danielle I was going to say, it's Danielle right? Brooks, yes. right? Danielle oh, right. Brooks. Danielle, Danielle Brooks. Brooks. Yeah. Yes. Yes. So let's dive right in. How, I mean, you are like literally some of the first people that I'm seeing outside of like my immediate circle know, weird, in right? so long. Other than like at Redemption Rock, like right. I've gone to like the outside space and I like look at people from afar and I'm like, hi. Yeah. I, I feel like safe there too. I feel like even in their inside area, it's so open and it's so just like everything is distanced in a way that like even at other like indoor dining, I'm like, this is like, this is for real. Like they're yeah. actually super distant. They have a big garage door too. Yep. But I love Redemption Rock also because they're so collaborative in the community with John Demoga of Mamaru. Yeah. They're doing a pop-up with my in-laws who have like a t-shirt brand in a few weeks, but they just welcome people into their space. Yeah. Oh it's, yeah. It's a really warm place. Yeah. I, w- I work with them for the nonprofit Love Your Labels that I run and we do our drag queen story times there. And even through the pandemic, we've done one virtual drag queen <sighs> story time from the tap room, which was really cool. And yeah, it was a great event. So love to all the Redemption crew. So you're both teachers and our first like season of public hearing was a lot about education and what's going on. I also facilitate the Worcester Education Equity Roundtable. So I'm constantly talking about teaching, learning, future of education, how to live through a pandemic. How has your teaching experiences been lately? Well, we both sigh. (laughs) It's, it's new. It's like being a first year teacher. Um, I taught in the same building for 10 years, which is kind of crazy. And then I was teaching in the town of Auburn. Um, it was a great place to like jump into my career and learn the ropes, but Mm, I grew up in Worcester and it just, 
as I became more involved in this community became really important to me. I said, I want to work for the Worcester Public Schools. So last year felt like my first year of teaching because it was my first year with Worcester. And now this year is a whole new animal. Well, and then for you also, it's like you were at the middle school level, went down to elementary for a while, and then went back to middle school. And it's such a difference. Yes. But Molly (laughs) actually took my I old have Sarah's job. old job which really? is so funny yes like oh, her word. literal actual old job um so I worked with Sarah for years as like a, a support staff so I was very I was like zoned in on math which people always think is really funny because like I got really upset my senior year of high school I almost took it to the school committee that I couldn't take a second English class and I had to take gym um so like I was always like a kid like I was into the humanities stuff you know, I went to college and studied communication stuff. And then like, I fell into this job where I was like teaching math. Um, and so this is actually my first year doing that job. So it's like my actual first year having this like for real, you know, teaching job, but then also like doing all this stuff. I said to, I was actually saying the other day, I was like, I don't know if I'm going to be able to like do the, how am I going to do it next year? I'm going to be so used to this, like that, like the normal, I mean, hopefully, you know, fingers crossed next year. Well, and so that's what I'm, I'm, been having this conversation from 18 different vantage points, but like, Mm -hmm. is education changed forever because of the pandemic? I think so. I think so too. In Worcester, we're fully virtual. Molly is hybrid. hybrid. So, and I think for me, it feels like virtual is easier to wrap my mind around than you where you're kind of going back and forth and you're in two places at once. It's kind of crazy. Yeah. It's, it's a lot, I would say like clunkier is the word that we've been using to describe it. Like just, there are just elements of it that, and the kids, like I have to say, and I think Sarah's experiences too, like seem to be adapting better than a lot of the adults, but also just like doing as well as they can be, you know, like we can't underestimate like the resilience of kids and like the way that they can just like approach, especially with the technology aspect of it. Right. So like the job that I have now, which is Sarah's old job is like a STEM and technology specialist, um, which covers like a lot of stuff. It's like a huge umbrella, but at the beginning, before we started, I, a lot of the teachers and adults were very nervous about everything. And it's because, like, they mm-hmm. don't know the tech as well, right? And I was like, guys, you have to understand, like, these kids are going to go on and figure this stuff out, right? And for a lot of them, that's been the case. And I would say that'll be the lasting impact is that we've had this pandemic mindset, this moment where people are much more open to change. And that comes with social change, but it also comes with the adaptation to technology. And so my older colleagues who might've been more resigned and, and resistant to things like Google Classroom, which are such wonderful tools. Um, now they've had to get their feet wet. They just had to do it. And, uh, I don't think they'll ever go back. And part of that is like very exciting to me because I was on the steering committee for the Worcester public school strategic planning process. And I remember some of the challenges that we had when we were talking about the requirements or uh, the need for teachers using and learning digital tools. And it became an issue with the union that we had to talk about of like, you know, making, requiring teachers to learn new technology that was outside the original scope of serve, like a scope of work, things like that. Um, the other piece that I think society is for better or for worse, finally become awake to is the disparity of access. Yeah because of um, this pandemic and the fact that not every kid could go home and pick up an iPad and learn, right? Um, Never mind if they had the device or didn't have the device, they didn't even have access to the internet. And we're still seeing like spots that are not even serviced by our internet provider, you know, within the city. And so the, the, 
how to address those problems is like what I really hope is going to propel us forward so that we can focus on individualized personal project-based learning for kids both in and out of school. And so that's where I'm like, yes, let's take this opportunity to reshape education totally. Yeah. I taught a lesson on the universal declaration of human rights today and the kids had to, you know, come up with their own article. What, what human right would you give to everyone just for being born? And they said in 2020, Wi-Fi access. It's so important. And I was like, you're right. It is. It's a window to the world. And so we've seen the discrepancy and I speak as an individual, not as a representative of the Worcester Public Schools, but I have two honors classes. Kids all have their cameras on. They are raising their hand. They like really want to be acknowledged and recognized and they want to invite you into their home. And then I have two general ed classes where it's been much more of a challenge to get them to warm up and turn their cameras on. It's harder to get to know them in that way. And I thought, you know, if you live in a place that's hectic, if you've got six brothers and sisters in a studio apartment, like, no, I wouldn't want to turn my camera on either. So just being understanding of that has been really important. Yeah, I think it's really blurred the line between our, like, for teachers' relationships to students between, like, their home life and their school life, right? Because we are getting a much more of a glimpse into what's going on in um, students' homes. And I think that for a lot of people, that empathy piece is coming more into focus because, you know, maybe there were teachers who had students who had behaviors or who had needs that weren't, um, you know, being met or whatever, and they were, you know, people look and say, oh, this kid, whatever. And then you really can understand a little bit more when you see this piece of it if that's not something that you had really, like, encountered before. Exactly. And I I talk so often about how students are not just students. They're very real people that have very real lives. And we have to, you know, build our society to support them through their growth and development at, you know, inside the school walls or outside of them. Kids are people. Yeah, kids are people. (laughs) And, you know, we, uh, I'm on the board of the Worcester Education Collaborative and a large majority of the focus of our work is in social and emotional learning and trauma-informed learning practices and really addressing trauma and the impact that that has on education, but not looking at trauma as like, oh, now this kid doesn't have the capacity to learn. Looking at trauma as something like, we just need to address kids as individuals and be able to understand how to approach uh, their their own needs and how that impacts their learning, how that impacts their mental and emotional well-being. Mm-hmm. And so that is, like I think, so critical during this time as well. We did trauma training with Dr. Forky. I don't know if you were probably responsible Forky. for some of that, giving them the push, but oh my God, I sat there and I felt like I was realizing all these things about my own experience too and the way I behave and learn and act. And I thought... I can't believe I didn't get this piece in my teacher education program that I went through. You know, I have, I got a bachelor's degree in English and education. I have two master's degrees in education and no one ever talked to me about trauma. And, um, it opened my eyes and it makes you view your students as people. Absolutely. And also just the idea of like, I think when people think of trauma, they think of really, really you know, huge significant things, right? Like loss of a parent or, you know, violence in the home or something like that. But it doesn't have to just be those things, right? Like trauma can be like all kids right now are in trauma. They're in a, they're learning in a pandemic. Like that is trauma. Um, and I think people don't think of it that way. They don't, they don't necessarily look at the, at the mental health piece of it as 
something that is traumatic. Definitely. We actually just added a module to our um, trauma-informed learning series called COVID-19 as Community Trauma. Yeah. Um, and we also recently added a module, Racism as Trauma, and like the impact there. And we actually just had on the show not too long ago um, some of the folks who run the or help support the Racism Free Worcester Public Schools account on Instagram. And it was a really eye-opening conversation for so many reasons, but it was two young women who both went to South High. They graduated a couple years apart. They talked about these stories that have been, you know, overwhelming their inbox on Instagram um, of these instances of um, racism and bias that people are experiencing, not only students, but also teachers who are sharing stories as well. And, you know, I always ask this question of, you know, and you talked about this a little bit on your episode when you were talking about defund WPD and like the, the challenges of like perception there. And like, I see these things as like very, very linked because so I also am, am doing work with the department of youth services for Massachusetts specifically focused on juvenile justice. And like, we're recognizing that so much of incarceration of young people plays out on the grounds of the school because school is a, a you know, it, every child goes to school. School right? is the kid's society until they are adults. Like that is the, the society that they are a part of, right? So exactly. Like, right. And so the school to prison pipeline and like what that looks like and how that, um, you know, impacts kids um, across like race and ethnicity in, in like disparate ways. And so that conversation was really fascinating. So just not necessarily honing in there, but just generally, like if we're talking about evolving educational ecosystems, what might we do as a community to take advantage of such a horrible time in our history? What might we do to like really launch education forward to support our kids? I will say in the virtual environment, there have been silver linings, um, especially my class is always run as um, a community service learning model. So the students select a problem at the beginning of the semester in the community that they want to solve. Sometimes it's the local community, sometimes it's the global community. They research solutions, they plan their solution, they put it in action, and then we celebrate. And part of that is finding a community partner to work with. And that can be the hardest thing is finding somebody who can take a day off and come into your classroom and help these kids make the connection to the real world. This year, I've had like 10 guest speakers drop in already because it's so easy. I just run it by my principal. She says, yeah, sure, as long as you're there the whole time, give them the link. And I invite this person. They can do it from their office on their lunch break. Um, we had Laura Morata come in, your partner from... Um, Love your labels because I had some students who are interested in starting a GSA and um, we should definitely have you pop in. At oh, some point I would too. love to. I would love to. We had Che Anderson come talk about public art. We had Renee King and Amy Lynn Chase come talk about being entrepreneurs as women in the city. Uh, we had Lucy Hale from the Egotarium come in. We had um, Amanda Thynart, who's this amazing game designer, and she was the only woman in her program too. So just these voices that I think it would have been hard to get these very busy people into my classroom. I've been able to make more real world connections, even though we're sitting on all different ends of the city. 
Oh, absolutely. Like, mm-hmm. so the Worcester Education Collaborative's annual meeting is coming up on December 9th, and we have Joseph South speaking, who worked for the Secretary of Education under the Obama administration, Arnie and Duncan. actually, what's that? I said Arnie Duncan. Yes, I've seen him <laughs> speak. Yes. He's very impressive. And so Joseph South uh, led the development of a strategic technology plan for education, which is what uh, Sarah Kiriazis, who works for the Worcester Public School System, used as her framework to build uh, that technology integration section for the public school strategic plan here. And so, again, because of the pandemic, Joseph South is going to be coming on Zoom to talk, and Sarah is getting to interview him and ask him direct questions about how to implement some of the like theory behind their research. Uh, so, 100% like connecting to awesome people is Absolutely. definitely a, a bonus for Please share that info too I would love to watch and I actually have um I'm being trained by Sarah tomorrow all day oh really <laughs> yeah. oh great well hello Sarah I will say hi for um, you. <laughs> I think that's a great segue though too like talking about that technology piece to the fact that like like we are the city is seeking municipal broadband right and I think that's something not just in Worcester but like you ask you know how can we take this time and turn it into something, and like that is one of those things. Like, like across the country, these play like cities like ours should be able to offer broadband to their to its citizens, right? Yes. Like that is a huge thing where it's like the equity piece. It's like how do we approach this? It's like okay, why don't we? We have one major problem that we know the solution to, and how do we implement it? And so many people are addressing the same challenges in different locations. And like, yes, there is very much community-centered needs that are different across space, but there's also a lot of best practices and like learning that we can do by looking at other cities. And actually in that technology plan that Joseph South wrote for the administration, it talked about how uh, community was in dire need of Wi-Fi access for their students in certain neighborhoods where there was a lack of affordability and, and things like that. So they actually rigged um wi-fi uh what a route uh you know the wi-fi devices you know those things right they put them on top of (laughs) you know the airports and whatever you know sends internet through the airwaves i was just Um, trying to explain this to kids i had kids that were like how is the internet and I was like great question someone today was literally me literally asking me like what the stuff is made out of like what routers and I was like plastics and metals and other elements <laughs> I was like I will find out but like it's the level of curiosity too but it, oh, yeah. it is it's like yes what are they towers they're towers right they're Wi-Fi. Well, yeah. And you, yeah, the things like we put in our offices so we get Wi-Fi, right? right. They connect to their own. Right, like, you can make, you can build a whole building of those. <laughs> exactly, yes. Right? Well, like that so one they, across from Armsby Abbey. Yes, there's that, a, that entire, building is, it's the ugliest building in Worcester oh, the other AT&T than the building? Yeah, that yeah is a, it has that, no windows and like one person works there. Yeah. It's it, really creepy. And it's like, it used to take the whole building to provide accessibility for the city or this region um and now it, it takes up the size of a closet whatever this access point right. is but they still have that whole building i didn't know that that's amazing but there's no 
bathrooms in it or like windows you yeah know? no it's it's insane and and this is like a kind of a tangent but in the previous podcast I worked on experience this mm-hmm. um we had an episode about bitcoin and we were talking about how like bitcoin is this like whole new currency that was essentially just made up just like just like every other value to gold is also just made up and bitcoin again is like uh it's like a position of privilege to be able to earn bitcoin because you actually mine it using servers and so people with the means would buy and use server farms to mine for bitcoin which is literally just running mathematical calculations at such a complex rate to like (laughs) uncover these coins that some guy just decided to bury in the internet like that's kind of how I, I'm not a Bitcoin that's expert. That's like basically the plot of Ready Player One. Like, <laughs> yes, like that's like that is the plot of that. It's like some dude was just like, "There's a bunch of stuff in the internet. Go find it." Like, what? Well, I learned a lot from that episode because I think Bitcoin is such an abstract idea I, yeah. that I just yeah it was very helpful oh we had to literally make a song maybe we'll play a little segment of it here so to try and understand because even when I was researching I was like okay I gotta talk to this guy and not sound like an idiot so I was like figuring out what this bitcoin thing is and how to talk about it and it's still very complex yeah. and confusing block to block Oh baby, the future is a blockchain powered world. Share data, track it in the ledger. Network sees it all so everyone can measure. Proof of work is a calculation. together vibes like the yes. the boy band well, MTV together show is, yeah yeah uh, so so that was a that was a whole little tangent moment that but. was a lot of fun well we all wear a lot of hats I think and that's something I think about a lot where I will have to interview somebody um for the telegram or Worcester magazine and then I'm also a Worcester public schools teacher and then we have this podcast and then you have your own private social media like TikTok and Instagram it's like a lot of places to be. And when you mentioned the anti-racism folks from Instagram, what is their handle again? Racism free WPS. Yes. I follow them and immediately I'm like, oh, I would love to interview these kids. Right. Mm. And then I have to think like, oh, I don't know if I can because it might be kind of a conflict of interest. And then again, like when I think about my husband's job, he works for the city. I have to be really careful about which projects overlap for us. Um, but I thought of this because Ed Augustus, our city manager, says no bad words about anyone or hardly ever, right? He has to be so diplomatic all the time because he's not an elected official. He's appointed. And um, he even condemned charter about the Wi-Fi. Oh, their letter the to yeah. Spectrum was, was awesome. great. Like was. that, I was like, I can stand like, everyone who's here for that 
yeah, letter yeah. getting mm-hmm. angry. And then I also, you know, me being me, I was like, but also we should not allow for a monopoly to exist in the city that can Period. lead to this problem. I would love like a Mayor Joe Petty dramatic reading of that letter. <laughs> That's what I want. <laughs> I think like, that would be spectrum. incredible. Yes. <laughs> this letter is from the mayor of I Worcester, want, Joe I Petty. Absolutely. Wouldn't right? that be like, amazing? Which I, is a safe city. I think, that, I think that they need to take advantage of his like per, of the persona of Joe Petty, right? 100%. Like, I think Joe Petty needs to like read, be the voice on an audible book about Worcester. Like, the city of Worcester, here <laughs> yes. we are. Founded 19 or 18, whatever. I have a story. I have a, a wonderful little story. I texted Sarah as it has, was happening on election day. I saw you at Redemption Rock, actually. You were there. Um, this is for the public because it was just so delightful. But Joe Petty came in with, it was like his wife and his son, I believe. And they were at the table next to my little pod. Um, and we're like, oh, the mayor's here. And it was not, sorry, not election day. It was November 7th, <laughs> the date ingrained in my brain, um, which was the day that we actually found out the winner of the election. Um, we were all there celebrating. And so I looked over, I was like, oh, should we like cheers with the mayor and be like, yeah. And so, you know, once he got a drink, we were like, Mr. Mayor, like, you know, cheers. And he was and he was like, good day, great day, everyone. And then as he was leaving, this is the best part, as he was leaving, his family like left and he came over to a table and gave us all fist bumps. Yes. <laughs> he was like, cool, cool, good day. And it was just so funny. That's our mayor. <laughs> yep. It was very, it was just like, I texted her, I was like, um, Joe Petty. So this happened. <laughs> it, was yeah. it was very, it was just like very charming. It was very cute. Yeah. Well, so, and I love that letter for Spectrum. And actually that brings me full circle before we went on our tangent to the story about the Wi-Fi things that we were talking about that led to that, this uh, happens that sometimes. pathway. Um, so this city identified a need for Wi-Fi in areas where people couldn't afford it or there wasn't even access so they rigged a bunch of Wi-Fi boxes on top of school buses that were solar powered. And when the school, so when kids were going back and forth from school, they had Wi-Fi on the bus. And then instead of parking the school buses in a massive lot at the end of the night, they parked them in the communities that needed access to the internet. What a cool idea. What a, right? Yeah. And like so weird and innovative. Like who would think of that? Be like the buses. Like and that's kid, the stuff, a kid would think of that. Right. And like Absolutely. that that is the stuff we need to like steal. And yep. like be like, okay, let's figure out how to do that stuff here. Um mm-hmm. and that's where I'm like all about, you know, one of the things that I do for like my day job, which like pays my bills, quote unquote, um, is coalition building and knowledge sharing and like building capacities for organizations to like collaborate and work better together, right? And so, like, those are opportunities where I'm like, we should be, like, connected to other cities in a very direct way, like, sister city concept, uh, and talk about, like, Worcester looks very much like Oakland, California in a lot of ways. Like, so how can we work with those partners? It's like a small-scale Oakland, Yeah. I actually, it was very cool. Last year, actually, no, I, I, like, forget that, like, last year was a year. I think it was 2018. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, yep. like 28, or this past, yeah. Um, I was in Atlanta for a Smart Cities Expo, and I met the chief innovation o- uh, officer for South Bend, Indiana. And this is when the election stuff was going on, so she worked directly Mayor with Pete, Pete Buttigieg. Yeah. She worked directly with Mayor Pete. And it was fascinating because they're smaller than Worcester. I was going to say, that city... They're smaller just, than Worcester, yeah. I just, another, I just love that that man was like, I am the mayor of a city that is smaller than Worcester, and I can be the president. 
Yes. I'm like, <laughs> what? All right. Like, here we go. Here My we go. My mom was like, I like him. And I was like, mom, do you want Joe Petty to be the president? I love Joe Petty. But should he be the president? I I would like to make this distinction because I think a lot of people don't know either. I have mentioned like one is an elected official. Mm -hmm. The mayor in this city is a a weak mayor. So we love Joe Petty because that's what he is. He's a figurehead. He goes to all the ribbon cuttings. Um, He chairs the school committee, which is a very important job. But, you know, he is here to make us feel pride in our city. That's why he's here. But he doesn't have a lot of municipal power. Right. Right. Whereas Mayor Pete, I think was more engaged like oh, our city sure. manager yes, in the actual like, yeah. political like in the, the traditional mayor. Absolutely. Yeah. Right. Well, Absolutely. and that's where, and I do challenge like, you know, and Ed I, has done a lot of great stuff for the city. I still challenge having a city manager form of government oh, because yeah. it is not, it does not allow for the people to truly make decisions, especially when there's a challenge of like voter uh, education and like there's voter suppression. And this is nationwide that like disenfranchises people from putting people in positions of power to make decisions that really like benefit them. And so I think even the city council who are elected, like those people need to be making full time salaries so that yes. they can dedicate We've their talked time. About this. Oh, we right, so that we can, that. cause that's, the candidate pool for city council, we discussed this in our defund episodes, episodes. Um, right. The candidate pool is so small because of the fact that it has to be people who have the resources to make a part-time salary and to not make a living wage. And to run. The flexibility. And to run. Absolutely. Yeah, yep. Where you need to be free during the work day, but you can't, can't live on the amount of yeah. money they're paying you. So you have to have another job. So it attracts a lot of like realtors and people that want to get their name out there, perhaps for different reasons too. Absolutely. 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 And the school committee piece is so important too, because the, I, we just had Tracy Novick on the show. Um, who's a, recently elected city uh, Re-ele- school committee re- re-elected, re-elected right because she, she, she served took a term and then, yeah off right well and and tracy is like she sat down with the racism free wps folks which no other school committees did right and so she was able to put things on the agenda that was like they actually have like a list of very reasonable requests and they're actionable and they're actionable. that's the thing that i think was like a huge thing where i was like these kids are not just like coming up with ideas they're coming up with things that you can do like tomorrow mm-hmm. like, right yeah yeah absolutely and so she like sat with them and then we also talked about like the student voice representation on the school committee which is i think such a, a flawed way of helping young people think about the power of their voice and their vote by giving them a position on the school committee for listeners i'm using air quotes but it's not a voting position. Right. So they're allowed to be there and give insight and input, but not actually contribute to the the voting process. And so uh, what is the incentive? You know, so you're going to attract a certain type of student, but you're not necessarily going to get a representative of the larger student body. Exactly. And it, the position is supposed to be elected, but it isn't always, and it often comes from, like, appointment, mm-hmm. which... I'm just going to insert an awkward silence for bias in that process. My inference is that they're not necessarily doing a good job uh, making it sound like an appealing position. And so when there are no candidates, then the principal is free to appoint. Exactly. Right. Right. Yeah. So, and there's been conversation in the community as well about like uh, district specific 
school committee seats as well and not just at large seats um, so that like to talk about more representation on the school committee because right now I think there's like one or two actually two school committee members which is fairly new actually have kids in the public schools yeah Um, that's which insane is insane and it's an all-white school committee and that's why I think Tracy is brilliant yeah. because she was a like, school finance officer I believe she was a teacher mm-hmm. I just it feels like she has insight where she's living and breathing this stuff every day yeah. and so she's got the credibility for me where when she speaks I listen yeah and even on her like even on her Instagram page in her story she'll be like WPS students how's it going like, she will ask the, those kids directly. She, like, wants those people to follow her. She wants to be accountable to the students of the district, which yes. is, like, major. Like, that's so important, right? Like, you have to engage with those kids at, on some level. Because mm-hmm. if you're not, then you're not, like, who is the school committee for then, right? Right. And I don't know, and, and maybe you can share a bit about this, but I think there may also be a lack of interest in that position because we don't prioritize or provide like civics education Mm -hmm. in schools really anymore. And, and I say anymore, but like I'm going back to when I was in elementary, middle school and high school. Like I had to learn all this stuff when I finally became interested, like a handful of years ago, you know, our girl, Harriet Chandler (laughs) has changed that. Yes. Harley come through. (laughs) Yeah. With the, so now what is it starting Middle school, right? Middle school level. Mm-hmm. All students in the state are required to have civics education. But though I think that's definitely true. I think like when I was in middle school and high school, I would have always been a very opinionated person. No matter what it's about, it could be about something stupid like figure skating. No, figure skating is not stupid. Oh my god. JVN would just came for you. I, like I saw. I him know. Fly. I don't even know why I would even say that. Sarah knows that. Like Sarah. One time, Sarah and I came home from like the dive bar or something and I slept on her couch and I was like look at this video of Victor Petrenko from 1997 and she's like I'm in bed um, so no not stupid apartment too my neighbors were like you were always such a great neighbor so quiet except for that one night with the figure skating <laughs> it was me um but sorry more on what should I say trivial to many that's a good that's a better word than stupid it's not um but I didn't realize, like, literally, and, and then I was, like, a senior in high school, and I was like, oh, like, I get to vote this year? And I got, like, super into politics, and then I ended up majoring in political communication, but, like, that's when I learned civics, is, like, at college. Like, literally, like, I learned all of that stuff. Then. I'm so glad, well, I'm not glad that I wasn't awake to the importance of voting in high school, even when I could vote. Like, I am not someone who registered to vote at 18. I did not vote at 18. And if I did... Unfortunately, like, I don't honestly know, like, where some of my voting habits would have been. I grew up in a very conservative family. Like, I had a signed letter from George W. Bush, like, hanging in my bedroom. Like, I did not know this about you. Oh, yeah. So, like, I, you know, I went to church basement school until I was in the sixth grade. Church basement school. Yeah. I know exactly what you mean. You know what I mean? Like, it just brings, like, you know, the, like, look of, like, going downstairs of, like, a white painted church. That like is covered like with rectory. like awkward blues and like those like wooden cubbies. Did you go to vacation Bible school? I led vacation Bible Absolutely school. Absolutely, you did. Oh, Man, Josh. Oh yeah, no my my mother was like queen VBS. You know we during the summers our like house would be covered with cardboard cutouts of pirates or whatever the theme was that year, um, and yeah, I was like you know the, the vacation the VBS leader yeah, was vacation a high schooler. Bible school. Yeah. 
Yeah, I went to Bible camp where we rode horses in upstate New York. Yeah, it was a whole it was a whole thing. So I'm glad 18 year old me didn't vote, but 18 year old me should have voted. Yeah, well, I was like one of those people. I was like walked in I was like I'm here to vote I was so excited and I still do that like I'm 30 years old now I've been voting for 12 years and every time I walk in I'm like this is my precinct this is my address please let me vote and every time I like look at the ballot I'm like I I just made a crazy face you guys could see it I made that face of like that emoji that has its whole entire mouth like smiling um but it is it's like you know I think that part of that came for me not from any sort of education but from the fact that I grew up with a single mom who always had to bring me with her to vote so in the voting booth I would be like in there with her and that was exciting to me Mm -hmm. and that was it's a personal experience so like it makes sense right it's very typical I think for kids to turn 18 and not register to vote I don't think that like you are alone in that yeah well and and that was you know being a queer person I woke up to voting when visibly my rights were on the table, right? Mm -hmm. I think it was honestly, you know, when Prop 8, yeah, was uh, I was going to school in Manhattan and we were, I went to like a march with people about like, you know, we were picketing outside of like the Mormon church downtown because it was like the whole... They had funneled all that money into California. Yeah, and so it was like this whole big thing. And so we're like in New York and I'm like, um, actually, funny, I was with Captain America's brother. Um, (laughs) Yes, Sudbury native. Yes, yes. We were picketing away. I love that. Um, Yeah, and that's when I was like, I need to vote. Like, what the hell am I doing? Yeah, But I think that's the case for a lot of people where it's like it doesn't hit them until it hits them right do you know what I mean like until it's like person until it's something that's like for personal for them like people are like I didn't realize till I had a daughter that women are people and you're like what <laughs> like you're, that but that's like, like a thing yeah but and I and I'm gonna say something that's probably not popular but having so many family that fit this demographic I'm gonna carve out here like there is a level and I'm not saying I understand it but there is a level of empathy that I have towards cis straight white men in America. Like I'm, I'm going to say that and it, I'm probably going to get flack from every person that I know. How dare you? I no, know, but the but, idea that you can see through other people's eyes is important, right? If you want people to listen to you. And I think that brings about change. Like mm-hmm. if I were not a queer person who struggled with my identity, I would have walked through a world that was built for me to be successful in without ever having to question anything. And, and that's the key though, is that like we, or I at least personally, and I think as a society, we should expect that empathy from everyone. Right. And that compassion and that, like the ability for you to say, you know, look towards like the oppressive party or whatever Mm -hmm. and say like, okay, but I can see this, this or this, that is what, that's like the key to how to live in a world, right? Yeah. We live in a and society. I will say we're having those conversations openly in my classroom now in a way that I don't think I could 12 years ago in my first year of teaching. And that's pretty awesome, right? And part of yeah. it is I'm much more confident at this point as an educator and my ability to lead students through new experiences and new information. But I think also the world is changing. That's, that's a great, great thing. 
And so every middle schooler is required now to do a civics engagement project. Um, and yeah, last year we did our first one. I had a group of eighth grade boys, like the toughest boys in the school, all in one class. And um, they wanted to get soccer in the valley. They live in Great Brook Valley, which is a housing project in Worcester. They said there are like a hundred different countries and cultures represented. It's the most popular sport in the world, but there's no soccer field. There's nowhere for us to play. I, I will add as like an aside to this, cause this is really important. Um, the United States fails at the world cup, men's world cup every single year, every single time, because we don't put money into communities that are not like white kids whose parents can drive them there. And so these kids are like, we are seeking that because we fail all the time because our pool is so small because we're not funding soccer for kids who want to play soccer. Mm-hmm. Keep going, Sarah. Yeah, so the kids, <laughs> they you know, they did all this research. They made a layout of the plan. They built a model to scale. They created a budget. And these are students that are not typically motivated to do anything. And they're like killing it. And I go to the principal and I'm like, you know, they want to invite the Worcester Housing Authority in to talk about this. And she's like, okay, I'll come and I'll sit in on the meeting. I hope everything goes well. Oh my God, you have never met sweeter gentlemen in your life. It was like they were playing the part of like, CEO tycoon they just they were so so charming and welcoming and the the Worcester Housing Authority of course was like we'll support this project and we put it up to raise money for uh the soccer field and the soccer equipment and our biggest donor was Jimmy Cash the custodian I don't think he would mind me saying and we were like over the moon so I think this civics engagement push is going to be really, really important. And I grew up in a much different environment than you. I lived, I always say this, I think it's getting old, but I lived in 11 different places before I turned 18. Weren't you born in like a commune? (laughs) Kind of. Uh, (laughs) Like that's a story for another day, but (laughs) uh, different. (laughs) Yes. My parents met at Butterfield in at UMass I know that building yeah so they like tried to resign and become their own country or something Butterfield did but (laughs) anyway my parents are very unique independent thinkers and so I grew up in a less stable environment and this civics engagement project really spoke to me all these kids talking about their housing insecurity um and I think that's it right it'll open eyes to all different students and all different walks of life how our city really looks well and I think you just brought this like again full circle for Mm -hmm. me and also raised such an important point of like talking about kids who may have been observed as not being motivated previously but I think that's more of a testament of our failure to like meet people where they're at and teach them in the ways that they're ready and able to learn than it is about their like identity as a person and that to me is so powerful it's like when you give kids the capacity to do something that they're passionate about inherently they learn right there's inherent learning opportunity there yeah I mean and I think that brings us right back to that question the original question that you asked which is like how do we take this time and turn it into something and like I have found at least teaching virtually I'm able to do th- to introduce things that I normally wouldn't like I had a whole week where I just talked to the kids about like the recent um like NASA and SpaceX launch right because I was like this is technology like let's talk about all the parts of it and all this stuff and the kids and like because they were like keyed into it and I wasn't just saying like here's how to use an iPad you know like 
they can. And so it's like finding the passion. So it's like, how do we take the ability to use different resources like Sarah brought up with um, bringing those guests in a class too. It's like, how do we take the resources available to us through digital learning, I guess, and translate that to when we get back to like what quote unquote normal, right? Um, how do you, how do we key into the idea that theory, I guess it's like the Montessori theory almost, right? Of like, give, let kids explore what they're interested in. But like that curiosity, I had a class the other day where one of the girl, one of the girls in the class raised her hand and was like, I just have a question about something we did last week. And then I literally spent half an hour with these kids just like talking more about space. And I was like, I'm just going to let them t- like, let, like ask me, the, like ask questions. Cause when they're asking questions, that's the, it's the curiosity. I'm not going to be like, no, we can't do this right now. You know? Well, and I, have a thought that I'm interested to hear from two teachers who are sitting in front of me and I am not a teacher, but working in an education space with a background in design thinking, coalition building and like futurism because I'm a huge like sci-fi nerd. And like, I learned so much as a child, I think from absorbing like the stories of Star Trek, you know, like that. So and also following like workforce trends because again nerd but like following workforce trends like we are getting more and more like hyper specialized as a society and I want to know your thoughts on the evolution of teachers as a career to becoming more expert facilitators as opposed to people who are saying like I am going to share knowledge that I have with you because I feel like at a point no one can hold that much knowledge to or specialty to support the rapid rate in which kids are learning. Absolutely. And now they yeah. have, we're not keepers of knowledge anymore. That model was called scholar academic and it was prominent for a very long time. But as soon as the internet came along, right, it becomes less important who holds the knowledge and more important about who can facilitate or coach you through an experience. And so for us, I guess my biggest fear is artificial intelligence. Oh no! Um, I know. Let's talk about <laughs> no, it. I love I, Sarah. Has this was like her um, her like COVID project is like Sarah just got yeah real deep. I was working <laughs> with a gentleman um, from EdTech Teacher. His name is Tom Decord, and he is writing a book right now about AI and education. And so I just poured myself into all of this learning and research, but I was so fascinated by the fact that these kids, the most important skill that they can have is to be creative and curious Mm -hmm. because right now it's not just the physical jobs that are getting automated. It's also rote cognitive jobs like to be a paralegal. I pissed off a lot of people the other day saying this, um, but There's software right now that can do the research at a far faster rate as a paralegal so that you can pay fewer paralegals. Now, a lawyer's job is safe because they have to think creatively and they have to to solve a problem and they have to be passionate and persuasive. Yeah. So that's how we have to start thinking. What are the creative niches that we can really turn to and how can we avoid just training kids to do cognitive memorization, which is like where all these tests come in too, where it's like, are we teaching kids to be dynamic, critical thinkers, or are we teaching them how to answer a question for a standardized test? Right. And I can tell you, I was pretty like shite at standardized tests. Like I was not a sit down 
learn. Like I Many benefit from <laughs> I benefit from absorbing information that I can like regurgitate when needed in like a specific duration of time. So like I did well in school, but it was not the way that I truly did my, most of my learning. Sure. But to the AI piece and the creative thinking and like how that impacts society as well. Like I think this this future example makes such a strong case for things like universal uh, income, right? And talking about how should we be tying what people do to what people are worth? Because if we separate those things and people are able to have their basic needs met and arguably more than their basic needs met, innovation could catalyze at an exponential rate because people have the capacity to do what they're passionate about. Absolutely. It would be like unbelievable. Like the, the rate that people would be able to, I mean like people talk about, um, one example I always think of is um, the Harlem Children's Zone, which Jeffrey Canada was the, yep. you know, in charge of. And he would go on all these TV shows and people were like, this man is amazing. And I was like, do you know why his school is amazing? Because people pour millions and millions and millions and millions of dollars into it. It's not because they're doing anything different besides getting all this money. It's like the idea that you could give people money and they don't have to, right, like worry about working three jobs because people are chronically unemployed and underpaid and then instead they, they could write you know the novel that they were going to write or they're going to create this computer program they're going to make they're going to send us to Jupiter or whatever I'd be really interested to hear what like listeners and people in our community would focus on if they could just focus on what they wanted to do because I feel like we are sold this like deficit based mentality where we are like, well, if people got to do whatever they want to do, they just sit and watch Netflix all day and not do anything. And I challenge that very strongly. I absolutely do. As someone who grew up watching my grandma's like watch TV all day and thought to myself, that's awesome. <laughs> like my grandfather worked and my grandma, she like worked periodically throughout her life, but like, you know, part-time job and stuff. But like when I was a kid, she was like at home watching Regis and I was like, this rules. And then I got older and like I would have times even between like the school year would end and I usually would teach summer school. I would have like three weeks and I'd be like, what do I do? Like I would go crazy. Um, and I think that that's the case. I think that, I think absolutely people would take an opportunity to maybe relax more, but I absolutely agree. Like even someone like me who like does love to sit and watch Netflix, I need something to do. People have to have an outlet. And I think like people don't have a, a, good frame of like time you know when you talk about like because I binge watch Netflix like believe me like yeah I and I consider myself a pretty productive person and I binge watch Netflix like <laughs> my partner and I have watched the entire season except for the last most current episode of The Undoing on HBO oh, in the in past a, two days. Day in one I second. did that too. Yeah. Oh, in the past two <laughs> days. And my question, is it done at episode six or are there like two more episodes coming out? I think it's done. It's done. It's based on a book. So oh, I, think that was the end. I just okay, want to so say about that that I feel my night tonight. that Hugh Grant 
recent career has been a personal gift to me. Oh um, my God. I am obsessed excellent. with Hugh Grant. Hugh Grant is like my one time Sarah was like, what's your church, Molly? When we were on that Worcester State one and she meant music. And I was like, Hugh Grant. Um, <laughs> like I worship him. I am absolutely obsessed. And I feel like I just feel like with that and like Paddington too, there's like so many things and I'm just like, he showed up for me just for me. <laughs> and I am so here for Nicole Kidman. So yes. like, I, oh, yeah, yes. An absolute, like, ugh, I think people don't realize about Nicole Kidman, like, because she has done so much mainstream work, like, the weird, just, like, absolutely, like, experimental and daring work that she has done in her career. Yeah. It's nuts. Oh, my gosh. Like, between, what like, is that birth? show that I watched that she just, like, popped up in? Top of the Lake? Have you yeah. seen Top of the Lake? Yeah. She just pops up in season two, and Welcome you're like, hi, to Nicole. New Zealand you know. or Australia or whatever. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Great show, by the way. High key recommend. Um, but in terms of motivation, because mm. we all, right, we need ways to turn our brains off. And it's harder and harder now, I think, with people working at home to figure out, like, okay, how do I signify to myself that the day is done? The yeah. work day is over. And now you're in your leisure time, but you're in the same physical space. It's really hard. And so Netflix is one way to escape. Um, but the best advice I ever got in terms of career motivation was from Tom DeCord, who I worked with on that AI project this summer. And he said, find the thing that everyone else thinks is work, but you love. You like just get lost in and you don't understand why everyone thinks it's work. And for mm-hmm. me, that's writing. I could do it all day if someone let me. I love it. I love to write. But for you guys, what, what do you get lost in that other people don't enjoy? I love this question. <laughs> We are at time, folks, but if you want to hear me and Molly respond to Sarah's question, head to Public Hearing wherever you get your podcasts for a special sidebar episode between this one and our next crossover episode, which we also do with Pop It. As I said earlier, we're a chatty group, so we just couldn't stop. Also, if you had a universal income where all your needs were addressed, what would you spend your time doing? Let us know. Send an audio note or an email to publichearing at actionbydesign.co. Thank you so much to Molly and Sarah from Pop It for doing these crossover episodes. I know I want more in the future, and I hope you do too. You can get more from Pop It on their website at popitworcester.com. I am your host and producer for Public Hearing, Joshua Croak, and this show would not be possible without our Rockstar team. Our audio producer is Giuliano D'Orazio, who also did our original show music. Our intern for this season is Ellie Garfield from Clark University. Thanks for listening. If you're looking for more podcast content, we mentioned Experience This Podcast that we created and produced earlier in the show, where we featured our fun little jingle, Block to Block. Check out Experience This at xpthispod.co and let us know what you think. XP This Pod is a podcast about how design and technology interact with society. We talk about everything from blockchain to drag and identity to experiencing racism in virtual reality. And as always, thanks for listening.